Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome in everybody. This is your host Christopher Rennie with another episode of Buck Off. Uh, with Land Grant Holy Land. I hope you guys are doing well today as we get you prepared for the game tomorrow against Nebraska. As always, I am here with Jordan Williams. How you doing today, Jordan? Um, I'm, I'm doing good. I can't complain. Uh, it's been a good week, and this is going to be a uh, an interesting game, so I can't complain. Whenever you pit two blue bloods against each other, uh, regardless of records, it's still kind of always fun because the difference between like Ohio State playing like a regular three and five team in Nebraska is we know Nebraska fans are going to show out for this game. They're all going to show up. They're going to be excited to watch them play Ohio State. And obviously they're going to be hoping for an upset. And it's one of those teams that, you know, they haven't really been as good as they'd hoped in the Big Ten. They haven't really found their footing since Tom Osborne's left, honestly, and Frank Solik. So it's interesting. Their uh, prodigal son, Scott Frost, has kind of been in the news for all the wrong reasons this season. Uh, So I guess to get the show started before we get into a load of topics, what do you expect from Nebraska this week? You know, Scott Frost throws his players under the bus. He's coaching for his job. Just initial thoughts before we get started. Um, I don't know what I expect. It's going to be interesting to see if they've given up yet. Um, I, I they probably haven't, but maybe they have. I mean, they played a lot of close games and they keep losing, so that's going to be the interesting part. Um, at a bare minimum, I expect them to get blown out because that's what they always do against Ohio State, except like one year in the last couple of years. Agent Martinez is probably going to throw a whole bunch of interceptions because that's what he does. My, Like I said, my interesting thing, the thing, I, I won't say I'm expecting it, which is what, kind of what you asked, but I'm just 
interesting to see if they're still going to fight. Like, obviously, like, I agree 100%. Like you said, the fans are going to be there. They're loyal, that kind of stuff. But at a certain point, you know, a coach's message can get lost. And, you know, you have four games left. You're losing. There's absolutely no way you can make it to a bowl game. And you still have some of your hardest opponents left. So that's what I'm looking for. Do they fight? Do they, do they put up, you know, or, you know, do they not show up? Uh, so... You know, I'm I'm, I'm really going to be trying to see just what kind of energy they have, because I think that's the other thing, you know, Scott, in my opinion, and we can get into this a little bit later, but in my opinion, Scott Frost should be fired. But the new AD really doesn't want to fire anyone because his first year. So this that's the stuff that's kind of going to matter. Like, do they give up? Do they still fight in these games? Can they still make them close if they start losing these games by blowouts, which they haven't done yet? Um, I just don't see how Scott Frost lasts. Yeah, and I, I'm with you. Like, I think the joke that the running joke with Nebraska, they haven't lost a game by more than double digits this year. So, will Ohio State end that streak? I honestly think so. I think Ohio State probably wins this game very comfortable, similar, similarly to last year. Uh, so, I do think this isn't the game that's going to be the be all end all for Scott Frost's tenure, but. Uh, I just want to know if this game does remain kind of close, what creative way they find this time to lose the game, whether it's an Adrian Martinez interception, whether it's a play that goes to video review that kind of screws them over, whether it's him committing 15 penalties and like giving up a touchdown late, like they have in this season. There are so many ways they've lost football games. It's been discipline. It's been the other team just coming up with some magic. It's been them absolutely just throwing the game away every single way possible. How do they lose to Ohio state? If it's not a blowout, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I'm not intrigued because if Ohio state doesn't blow them out, I'm going to have to ask some questions like, and Nebraska is not that good. And like me and Dante were talking about this on the I 70 show. This week is full of games that maybe don't look good on paper, but they're just full of, um, What's the word we use? They're full of like, I'm sorry to do this to you games. They're full of teams like Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, who uh, are like, we need this win. Uh, Either we're coming off a tough loss. uh, We're trying to improve for the committee. uh, People are asking questions. Whatever it is, like Ohio State's case, we're coming off a win that was way closer than they thought. And now, you know, there are people starting not to believe in us. This is literally going to be the game where like your older brother punches you before you leave for school. And then you go to school and bully somebody and you take out your anger on somebody else. Like um, and so it's like that in a lot of the Big Ten. But this is not a game that, first of all, it shouldn't be close in general, just talent, coaching, skill, whatever. But coming off the uh, Penn State game, and again, we've talked. I've talked at length about Petty Ryan Day. Petty Ryan Day goes past just like a specific team or player slighted him. It also goes to like. At least some from what I've seen, it goes to like, oh, you don't think we're good at something? Well, we're going to show you we're good at it. Ryan Day literally may not throw a big, a deep pass all game just so he can get into the red zone six times and score touchdowns all six times. So I just don't think if this game is close, not that I think Ohio State's not good or I'm going to, you know, change what we talked about the last couple of weeks where we think, you know, they can get to the national championship and that kind of stuff. But it's just going to make me be like, this is two games in a row, Ryan Day. Like, what's up? Like, you haven't shown that yet. You, anytime you've had a subpar game, you've went out the next time and blew somebody out the water. So, uh, I don't want to see. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's guy. I mean, I I don't want to get bullish again because we get bullish every week, but I I do legitimately think Ohio State. I think it's going to be very similar to the Indiana game where it's just kind of just never close. Uh, But like I said, against the in the Indiana game, uh, Indiana was the best two and five team in the country at the time we played them. I think Nebraska has an argument that they're the best three and five team in the country. And I think that's hilarious because I think the Big Ten's depth is kind of showing this year. You kind of saw it with the committee rankings. But once again, Nebraska, they are not at the level they want to even be, and let alone a level that could really challenge Ohio State. Because once we get into it more at the end, I've got a lot of stats that kind of show you where Nebraska's at in comparison to Ohio State and how it's been the last three or four years. Yeah, well, you don't want to get bullish, but I don't think it's getting bullish. Like, I, I just think it's realistic at this point. Yeah, well, here's the thing. You know, I always say that, like, you judge people not by the competition, but where they want to be. If Ohio State can't blow out Nebraska, they're not where they want to be. Exactly. So it's like, I don't think it's bullish. It's just fact. Last week's was bullish because it's Penn State, and we've never blow out Penn State like yeah. you know and, and we, and we, we missed we missed the mark a little on it but I think it could have been what we said if they executed properly yeah but it's I don't see I won't even say that because the other thing is Penn State is the number one defense in the red zone I don't think they didn't execute properly I just think Penn State was better than us in the red zone like I, the only like obviously the missed pass to Stroud is not executing but it was just Penn State being better than us in the red zone significantly better than us like it was good versus good and their good was better that day but you know so last week was definitely bullish and we already talked about that on the instant recap we missed the mark uh, Penn State was literally fighting for their season trying to avoid three straight losses on top of the fact that they always play Ohio State tough but this isn't bullish this is just expectation like under this Nebraska team under this Scott Frost team should not be within 28 points of Ohio State at any point in time and because of the way this defense has been playing which is your calling card was our calling card but this particular year is your calling card because you hop back on on the defense a lot earlier than most and for the most part have been proved right um with the way this defense has been playing and and the propensity that Adrian Martinez has to give away the ball when we've been taking the ball this game should be a blowout i, I just yeah you know, if it's not if I'm Ohio not State happy. doesn't force three turnovers this game, I'd be extremely shocked. Because Adrian Martinez may give you three turnovers, and then you just force another one. Like, and it, like everyone talks about his interceptions, but he he fumbles a lot too in the pocket he, when he's that's running. Really what he's known for, he just drops it. He's just like, ah, I don't want this. Yeah, and he he's just not like. There's moments where I've watched Adrian Martinez, like in the Oklahoma game, where I'm like, this dude's magic. Like, this guy has – this is the ceiling that Scott Frost sees in practice sometimes. And then he goes and he throws a ball that just floats in the air on the run, and then that guy makes a spectacular one-handed pick. And you're like, oh, that's the Adrian Martinez we all know, though. And that's probably what we'll see this week. Yeah, it's funny. Like um... – and some of it is the player, but sometimes you think of like, and I'm sure everyone does this, but some just in an Ohio State lens, sometimes you think about players who almost went to Ohio State and what they would be at Ohio State. And Adrian Martinez was recruited to Ohio State. Um, he was one of Day's first recruits. Yeah, no, he, yeah. he highlighted he was, him early. 
He'd been in school forever, so like he probably would have been recruiting around the time that they recruited Dwayne Haskins and stuff. Because this is this is like fourth year, right? Fifth year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ryan Day visited him on the same trip he visited Jack Tuttle, but they were different ages at the time. Yeah, so it's it's been a long time, is what we're saying. So yeah, um, I think they're both fifth years right now. Yeah, I wonder. It would be interesting um, what he would have looked at at Ohio State. Like, would he have not played here because he? couldn't keep the ball or is that a Scott, a Scott Frost problem where yeah. they, they couldn't coach him uh, and that's interesting with a lot of different players like uh, what's his name Dwayne Mathis is that the kid's yeah. name Dwayne Mathis from he, went, he was from Michigan he went to Georgia yeah now he's at Temple yeah he doesn't look great and it's like is that him or like did, did Ohio State uh, you know dodge a bullet or is it just bad coaching and if he would have came to Ohio State we would be looking at him like he would be an NFL player. I think that's one of the interesting things about coaching that you never really get the an- the answer to. Um, but yeah, Adrian Martinez could have been a Buckeye and maybe he regrets not being a Buckeye, but maybe he would have never been a Buckeye because he fumbled twice and Urban Meyer kicked him off the team. So <laughs> all things we can look at. That's what makes college football so fun. Uh, the other thing that makes college football fun, but also just like painstaking is the college football playoff. Uh, everything in the world of college football revolves around it. And, you know, these might be no, more off-season conversations, but uh, obviously it's still four teams. It still is favoring the Power Five. Uh, there's a lot of dissenting opinions on where it should go next, how the group of five should be treated, what they should do. Uh, we have been talking about this for months. Uh, the first rankings were released a Tuesday this week, uh, yesterday from the recording, uh, three days ago from when you guys listened to it, uh, the top six, uh, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, Oregon, Ohio State, Cincinnati. Uh, I honestly am not surprised by any of it, uh, but I am very ecstatic that the committee is treating teams the way they should be treated. And, you know, me and you, we've been talking like Oklahoma's not a good football team. Guess what? They're ranked eighth. The only 9-0 and team in the country right now is ranked eighth. Wake Forest undefeated, ranked ninth. Uh, you know, you go down the list. Uh, they gave Fresno State and San Diego State more credit than they gave SMU and Houston for similar records. So what does that say about the Mountain West versus the American Athletic Conference? So there's a lot of takeaways you can have. But the reality of it is they are very much weighing strength of schedule over playing bad teams. And that doesn't matter if it's conference games, if it's non-conference games. You know, Cincinnati's only played one top 50 team so far, and it was Notre Dame. Uh, We both don't think Notre Dame's very good. Uh, The committee thinks they're the 10th best team in the country. So I guess what are your initial thoughts with the playoff rankings? What are you feeling right now? Because I'm feeling pretty ecstatic if I'm an Ohio State fan. They're fifth. They beat Michigan State. They take care of business there in the playoff. Like that's what you needed in this first ranking. Yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna go on my full rant. I'm just gonna make this statement before I answer your question. Um 
the playoff rankings don't matter to anyone that's not Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, OU, and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm really tired of not so much fans, especially if you're a fan of a specific team, but I'm really tired of like certain fans, sports media, all this other kind of stuff, making it this big of a deal because we know that these teams aren't going to get in. And I think that... Like people are going to people say that the playoffs devalue conference championships and stuff like that. And it's not that the playoff devalues it. It's like the media and other people, because I use this as an example, just because I'm a fan and I went there. But Kent State is never looking to go to the playoffs. And you can't tell me that Kent season doesn't matter because they're not going to the playoffs. So it's just like. The playoffs doesn't matter. It matters for like five teams, but there's 130. And for some of those teams, like, and I think some people who are like not, who haven't been like close to a college football team don't really understand how big a bowl game is. Um, To use the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl for an example, I don't know if they'll do it this year because they can't seem to make PS5s. One of the years when Ohio State went there, every single player got a a PlayStation 4. Yeah, like, that bowl uh, that bowl is a lot more valuable right now. And, Honestly, and, if you go to the PlayStation Fiestable and you get a PlayStation yeah, Five, that's worth more than a championship. I I doubt it. I doubt they will because no one's going to make them. But all of them, like Kent State, went to the first bowl game when I, in like seventy years, and they and like you get like teams. They buy you get new clothes, you get new travel gear, you get stuff that's branded, like. Some depending on who the sponsor is, so you get either money, gift cards, again, like a PlayStation, the Xbox Bowl. If they like, you get a bunch of stuff. Like for Kent, they went to the Bahamas Bowl literally because they were going to the Bahamas Bowl. A lot of players on the team got passports and got to leave the country for the first time ever. So it's just like. The playoffs matter to us. They matter to Ohio State. They matter to certain people. Ohio State wants to win a national championship. And I'm going to get off my, my, my rant because this is an Ohio State podcast. But I just wish that people would remember that there are 130 national teams. There's a FBS teams. There's a million other. And, like, conference championships are important. And to Ohio State fans, remember, like, conference championships are important. Like, the year we missed the playoffs, no one cared that we went to the con- that we won the conference. And it's just like, that's just as important. You still get a ring from it. Like, yeah, you want to win a national championship, but only one team can do it. Like, all of this other stuff matters. And, like, now all these media – and I love the athletic, but, like, they're all writing these, like, scathing takes and this is ruining college football and it's ruining the regular season and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, no, it's not. You wasting your time writing this article is ruining it. When's the last time you watched some action? Like, when's the last time you watched UTSA play or any of these other teams who – are putting in just as much work, time, and effort, hoping to get like you telling Nebraska that they would. Nebraska would love to go six and six. That's why they should fire their coach because they're not, and their players are going to sit and watch everyone else go to these bowl games and get all this cool stuff while they're sitting at home because their coach sucks. So it's just like I, I, I went on my full rant. I apologize. I, no, I no worries. That's what this the, show's for. It's I didn't mean to go on for a reason. <laughs> I didn't mean to go on the full rant, but it's just like we'll get to Ohio State because it matters, and I think they placed Ohio State in the right spot. But as someone that's a fan of all of college football, it's just like yeah, remember, there's other things going on. To add to that, I think a lot of people. Uh, this is mostly a national media problem, honestly. And we see the national v- media the most because most fans engage with them the most because they're national. So everyone's engaging with them because they're like, well, you didn't say this about my team. You didn't say that about my team. Like, 
and I want to use Wake Forest as an example here because they're ranked ninth right now. They're undefeated. If you talk to any Wake Forest fan before the season started and said, hey, you guys are going to be 9-0, and they'd be like, you're crazy. You're stupid. No chance we're going to be 9-0. and They're 9-0 and now, and now they're all sad because they can't go to the college football playoff. Because, to be honest, the ACC might be worse than the American Athletic Conference this year, if we're being 100% honest. Uh, it's close. It's, close. <laughs> it's closer than it should be. And, you know, Wake Forest has the worst defense in the ACC. So they're literally – them and Oklahoma are like the same exact team. They've won a lot of games, but they've won a lot of games ugly. See, Oklahoma fans have the right to be disappointed at nothing but themselves for being bad consistently. To continue the similarities, their hardest part of the schedule hasn't happened yet. Like Wake and Oklahoma. And not to say that they're going to start losing, but I wouldn't be – like both of those teams could still lose two games. Oklahoma could still lose two games and they only have three games left because outside of Texas, they haven't played one of the good teams yet. And Texas is Texas. They're not back. Yeah, Texas is even – you can't even consider them a good team because they're 500. Yeah, and Wake hasn't played the best teams. They played North Carolina coming up. Regardless of good or bad, they they haven't played Clemson. And with their bad defense and Clemson's decent defense, that could be a game. They, that they could be an interesting a, game. They haven't played a they they haven't played a couple other teams who are pretty decent with their four games left too. Yeah. So it's just one of those things. And this is one thing I keep seeing people get up in arms about before we get into Ohio State's ranked and what it means and stuff. The committee does not reward you for future stuff. No. At all. Which they is why Ohio State's five and not two. Yeah, they reward you for what you've done. Right now, Ohio State's best win technically is Minnesota in week one because they're ranked in the CFP's eyes. Their second best win is Penn State, and Gary Barta himself said they don't have a key win. Michigan State's best win to this point is Michigan, who's ranked seventh in the CFP rankings. So... Take that for what it's worth. And, you know, a lot of people are hating on Bama. Bama has two ranked, and this is Mississippi State's ranking is a joke. Absolute <laughs> joke. But if you go off the criteria, well, they have beaten two top 20 teams. Yeah. And, you know, guess they what? Mississippi State's like got 17. Mississippi State's five and three, but they've got three top 25 wins. So that's kind of like a hard one to deal with. Yeah. But they have three terrible losses. So it's like – it's that's why the human nature aspect is interesting because it's definitely based off strength of schedule and uh, Georgia has already got the toughest part of their schedule out of the way so they're just smooth sailing to the conference championship Ohio State has the hardest part of their schedule coming up so their resume is not complete at all Michigan State has the hardest part of their schedule coming up not complete at all Cincinnati don't have many opportunities to improve their data points because the committee doesn't respect the American. Yeah. And one thing, and this is where Ohio State's lucky because we always win. If 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 records are equal, there will never be a year the Big Ten champ is left out. And I want to emphasize records are equal. Ohio and in four, Ohio State can get left out if there are three 13 and 0 teams. 
but there's not going to be that many 13 and 0 teams. So now, like if every if Ohio State's 13 and 0, everyone else is 13 and 0, they're getting in. If Ohio State's 12 and 1 and everyone else is 12 and 1, but there's only one 13 and 0 team, they're getting in. If everybody's 10 and 2, Ohio State's getting in. The only times Ohio State doesn't get in is when they have two losses or when there are three or four undefeated Power Five teams, and then they have to go head to head with a a 12 and 1 team or something like that, and that team has a better strength of schedule or um. A, a better loss where like, you know, we got blew out to Purdue and that kind of stuff with all things being equal with the records being the same, Ohio state's always going to get in. So no matter what happens, unless, cause no one cares, even if Wake Forest goes undefeated, like there's only two teams that can go undefeated now, which means Ohio state's going to get in. But like, especially if Oklahoma loses, Wake Forest loses, Georgia loses, like Ohio state's in. So it just it doesn't matter. Yeah. And the, the thing is, this this football season's been extremely chaotic. So, uh, if I'm an Ohio State fan right now, which I am, uh, openly a uh, homer, but uh, if I am, I just know if Ohio State takes care of business, it's 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 good. If they lose one game, it's probably it's probably cooked. Yeah, I just want to say what's uh, what's funny because uh, I, I like being right. Everyone likes being right, and honestly, like you don't. No one does podcasts if they don't want to be right. Like you know, what I mean, like, true. nobody's 100%. talking. Like you know, you can call it ego or whatever, but like no one's talking to be wrong. I said, I hope I tweeted this. I need to find it. Maybe I said it on here, but I said everyone's talking about Ohio State versus Oregon, and not the fact that they both should get in over Oklahoma. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think the Pac twelve, exactly. the Pac twelve is a better conference than the Big Twelve in my eyes. But I do think uh, this is the interesting thing. Uh, if it all it gets, it only gets really crazy is if Georgia doesn't take care of business against Alabama the second time. If they beat Alabama and Alabama's eleven and two, or if Alabama loses, they're done. They they're not getting in with two losses. But but if it's twelve and one Alabama, twelve and one Georgia, twelve and one Oregon, twelve and one Ohio State, those are the four getting in. I don't think it. I don't think an undefeated Oklahoma pushes out a twelve and one Oregon. I don't think an undefeated Wake Forest, which I don't think Wake Forest is going undefeated. I think they're going to slip up. They've already played with fire enough. Uh, they're going to get burned at some point. Uh, if they're undefeated, they don't get in over Oregon, Ohio State because they don't have. Neither of those teams will have a win as good as Oregon, as good as Ohio State, yeah. as good as Alabama, as good as Georgia. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like I could def- I don't think they'll be 13-0, but I could definitely see a 13-0. Um, I could definitely see a 13-0 Oklahoma getting left out because they haven't played anyone and all their games have been close. And that's why I thought it was funny because it's like if they jump Oregon, it's just because the Pac-12 was really, really bad this year. But Oregon does have that better win. But it's just funny. Like everyone, it was always Ohio State against Oregon, Ohio State versus Oregon. Only one could get in. And it's like, no, they both can get in. And I think these rankings showed, and granted, again, like you said, they show what happens to this day. So if something happens with the Big 12 and a bunch of teams start getting ranked and or OU starts goes undefeated but they're dominating these teams now in their last four games including the conference championship they'll probably jump oregon but ohio state's fine because like they showed the big 10 hella love and ohio state's gonna have three top 25 teams that they're playing if penn state wins out like if penn state beats michigan who they play first Penn State and Michigan will both be in the polls. So now that Penn State wins a ranked win, Michigan's not t- top 10, but it's like 12 or 13. That's still ranked. And you still have Michigan State. Like, 
Michigan and Michigan State, there's no way they fall out the poll. Like Michigan would have to lose three, two, three games to fall out the polls because there are teams with three losses already in there. Michigan State doesn't even have enough games left before they play Ohio State to fall out the polls because they're not going to lose both of them. But even if they did, they'd still be in the 20s. So even worst case scenario, instead of having top 10 wins, Ohio State has top uh, like 12 to 22 wins, which it's is still, still better than, it's still better than Oregon's. Wins. Yeah, it's better than Oregon's wins, and it's better than Oregon's because Oregon doesn't have any top 25 wins yeah, except and Ohio Oregon State. won't get any top 25 games at this point. No, because they all have three losses. <laughs> yeah. So the best team they could play at this point is Oregon State, and that's if Oregon State ends up being 8-4, and four, uh, nine and three. I don't know if they're a five and three team or not off the top of my head because I don't follow Oregon State. But that's like honestly their only option left. Maybe Washington, but they're terrible too. I think Washington's three and five, so not even a chance yeah. there. So Literally, it's real. Everyone it's really, in the Pac twelve has three losses at Oregon. Yeah. Three so and Oregon does have the worst loss. Obviously, these undefeated teams. I think the biggest takeaway was, and I think this was the best tweet sent out after the college football playoff rankings, and it's from Andrew M. Lind from uh, SI's Buckeye Now. Uh, the whole world finally got to see, or RJ Young finally got to see what the whole world sees when he releases his rankings. The uh, the funny thing is, like, I don't pay attention to the like. Once you get past fifteen, I don't pay attention to it because it's really a crapshoot. Um, and and this is the AP and the um yeah uh, what um the conference like, the college football playoff ones as we've discussed they don't really watch those games yeah their top ten is actually really good in my opinion. Yeah. Like, it's, like I, I have no complaints. Sure, I could complain about Alabama, but I expected that, so I don't want to complain yeah, about that Bama no more. Bama being too, like, the only thing I'd say with Bama is Michigan State does have a better win at this point, and I think they should be at two, and that'd be my only change with how it came out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just like, but I think Michigan State got hurt a little bit because they played a couple of close games against yeah, with Indiana and, and Rutgers. Uh, or Nebraska, or maybe Rutgers and Nebraska. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, Georgia was one, obviously. Alabama being at two is what it is because they're going to have to play each other. Michigan State being at three surprised me, but that's also how it should have been. I'm not like four. You could have flipped Ohio State and Oregon either way to me. It wouldn't have mattered because you could say Oregon had the head-to-head win. They should be in front. Fine. You could say Ohio State's looked a lot better. Fine. I'm I'm good either way. So that four five, Oklahoma shouldn't be should not have been in front of everyone. Wake could have not been in the top ten, and I wouldn't have cared. Michigan and I, Michigan being at seven is like, you know, I keep trying to tell people that the Big Ten is easily the second best conference, and I almost have to stop complaining about SEC bias because we're starting to get Big Ten bias, which is why yeah. we have so many teams there and. If Michigan was Georgia or if they were Auburn or, or whatever in the same situation, an SEC team wouldn't have fell at the top 10 for losing to a top 10 team either. So we got we got Big Ten bias now. So Georgia at seven makes sense because that's what happens when you're a, one of the best conferences with the biggest brands and you you get rewarded for having teams in the top 10 who play each other. That's just what happens. That's what happened with the SEC. It's happening with the Big Ten. So maybe I'll stop complaining about SEC bias. I probably won't. Uh and the rest of it makes sense. Like, I, I don't remember who's 10. Cincinnati at six, they were never going to let Cincinnati in. And I kept trying to tell never people were. all the time, 
You can't. Then, right? Yeah, tens Notre Dame. Oh, ugh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, seven and one. I mean, they're better than Oklahoma State at seven and one. They're better than Baylor at seven and one. Are they? It's like, I, I think their resume is better right now than those oh, two. It may be. Baylor would beat them. Auburn at six and two. They've been playing a lot better. Texas yeah. AM at six and two. I think those are good. BYU at 15. Interesting, but I, I respect it. Uh, Ole Miss, 16, 6, and 2. Those those are all fair rankings in my yeah. eyes. Yeah. Uh, Mississippi State, 5 and 3. Not to me. No, the, the losses are bad. Like, they have some really good wins, but their losses are awful. Yeah, but I think once you get down to Mississippi State, uh, you also have to and talk it about. turns into that crapshoot, yeah. Wisconsin is 5 and 3, and their losses are bad. Um, yeah. Minnesota's got the worst loss in the top 25. And they don't have any good wins. No. So NC State, like, don't follow them that closely. That's the second right. highest ranked ACC team, though. Yeah. Uh, so that's where they're at. Uh, Iowa six and two. That's a good one. Uh, Fresno State's. That's the one that was interesting to me. The Mountain West getting more respect than the AAC. So that wasn't interesting to me because I spend all of my time reading the athletic and the people yeah. who like write about the group of five have been saying all year. The Mountain West that, is a deeper conference than yeah. the American. And like people have been talking about like it's not going to happen because obviously we see the rankings and like for a G5 team, you have to have two or three years in a row to get that respect. But whoever is undefeated in the Mountain West, people were like. Uh, they could be better than Cincinnati. They're seven and zero, eight and zero, and the Mountain West is regarded as the better conference this year. And we saw that when it, when it came to the two teams. I can't remember exactly what Fresno State's one. I can't remember the other one, but it's like they chose those two teams over Houston and SMU or whoever uh, the AAC seven and one teams are, because throughout all of college football, for people who really pay attention to G five, they felt that the Mountain West was stronger this year, and the the rankings um, agreed with that. Yeah, and I think I thought it was fair. I, I was like surprised that they actually did it, but I was like, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I think they're both better teams than Houston and SMU right now. Probably, uh, I, I just I think. I hope it continues. I hope because, you know, Gary Barta sucks at giving out his reasoning, but I do think uh, I don't think they were wrong. Yeah, I mean, you can nitpick because you can always nitpick and people are always going to be, you know, upset. And again, it's also easy for us to say because when it comes to us, Ohio State's always going to get in. So, you know, we don't have the feelings that other people have. Although, like, I mean, they did start Ohio State at 16 the first time, but it didn't matter because we still won. So, And that that goes to show for everybody else that it doesn't matter, honestly, right now. Especially when teams have to play each other. Like, all the big team teams have to play each other. Georgia, Alabama have to play each other. Like, all the – whatever A whatever A eight though, whatever big 12 teams are ranked have to play each other. Like, uh, Oklahoma has to play Baylor and Oklahoma State. Uh, so, yeah, it's just like – it'll get worked out. It's – they do – that's it's why they do it so out. many weeks in advance. And they really probably shouldn't do it so many weeks in advance because it just creates unnecessary, yeah. like – Rage. They should probably like. I mean, it sucks because you kind of want to have, you know, uh, what's it called, uh, a starting point to base everything off of. But it's also week ten, and there's still like four weeks of the season left, and you've got conference championships. So that's five weeks left. You probably could wait until rivalry weekend to unveil the first one, and then just do three of them. 
Yeah, they just want to make money, which is fine. Everything yeah, they need a TV money. show. I mean, yeah. hey, we're, we just spent 15 minutes on it, so it's it's what it's all about. Um, but yeah, the next thing I kind of want to talk about here is the presser takeaways. Uh, uh, Ryan Day had his press conference. We did not get to hear from any players this week. Um, I can't remember why. I do think I think it was because it was election day yesterday. So the players were not available for media, not because of the election, just because they have to use their constitutional right to vote. Uh, But Ryan Day still spoke. Ryan Day was up there. Um, Brian Hartline spoke. And we actually learned quite a bit about Brian Hartline in his time. But I kind of want to get started with how Ryan Day feels going into this game. Because I think when the coach says stuff that we're kind of saying and we've been kind of saying this whole time, uh, that's what I like to hear. I like getting that confirmation from Coach Day. So, uh, we'll start with you, Jordan. Were there any quotes or anything that Ryan Day said that kind of stuck out to you a little bit? I know we've had this debate, and I I don't know if that's what you wanted to lead with. Uh, honestly, I don't. I can't think of what one you're talking about. So it's not uh, a debate between us. It's a debate a debate between us and everybody else. Oh, the zone. Oh, I'm not going to leave with that one, I, but we definitely have to get to that one. The one I'm going to lead to just because I want to say something about Ryan Day. Um, I like that he didn't have any offensive champions. Um, Ryan Day. Ryan Day is like, honestly, my favorite coach. And it's not because he's at Ohio State. It's because he's like. I don't want to talk bad on Saban because I don't know him that well, but he's like he to me he seems like Nick Saban with a conscious like like Nick Saban is like just an, an asshole for no reason like he's like Nick Saban but his heart grew three times large but he's still ruthless and it's just like like these little things may not matter to us or whatever but they do matter to the players and for Ryan Day to be like no one graded as champion like that's like a little thing but it does matter and 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 one of the and the reason why I like it is it means they're not accepting mediocrity right Ryan Day could have just said a win's a win. We're going to grade. No, he graded them hard. He said, you won, but you didn't play well enough. And that is how you stave off uh, well, mediocrity. But that's how you stave off like upsets and stuff like that. Because, again, I've, I hate doing this because everyone thinks I hate Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer wasn't good at that. Like, like literally, let's be honest. Not that Urban Meyer would have won that Purdue game and, and possibly lost to Nebraska because he's such an emotional coach. He gets the team up for such emotional highs and swings. He gets himself up for those too. He gets himself up that it, it, he crashes. He like, and this is literally the type of game that we lose. Maybe not to Nebraska because Nebraska can't beat us. But like, if this was Purdue this week, I would be afraid that we were losing under uh, Urban Meyer. Um, and Ryan Day is a lot more level headed. He's like, again, he's like Nick Saban, whose heart grew three times big. Yes, that's a Grinch reference. Uh, it's almost so Christmas Day. Uh, no, it's not, but it just came up. <laughs> that's, I'll save that rant for another day. Christmas doesn't start till after Thanksgiving. Got to get past Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, please. Uh, but yeah, so like, I really like that. And then when asked about it, he said, um, he said, in order for you to be a champion, you have to play over 15 snaps and grade over 80%. We had one guy on offense. They didn't grade good enough. First of all, it was kind of cool. Like, you don't know how they determine the grade, but it was kind of cool to, like, finally know how they chose it. Like, 15 snaps, 80% of however they grade it. That's cool to know. But it's just like they didn't have nobody that did it. And I respect that. 
They had Jackson. They didn't even name Jackson Smith and Jigba as player of the game. I noticed that him, too. He was a champion, champion, but there was no offensive player of the game. So that that tells me that Ryan Day saw what we saw and said, "Hey, we didn't execute when we had to." Nope. And, and that's not. what we said in the instant recap. We we're like, they didn't execute. Point blank. Period. The grades come back as champions. Nope. Just kidding. You didn't have any except Jackson Smith and yeah. Jigba, which when you think back on the game, he played Makes really sense. good. Yeah. And, and the other thing with that, just on the reverse, the defense played really good. They did. But they had a like, lot of champions. They gave up 350 yards passing. But part of that is because they were doing stupid contain rushes. Part of that is uh, Sean Cliff this big hole in the middle yeah. of their zone Sean, coverage. Yeah. Until we have King CJ Hicks. Uh, Sean Clifford played out of his mind, which he's going to do when you don't get any pressure. But I mean, the sacks, the tackles for a loss, the fact that they couldn't run, the turnovers, like the defense played well. And the defense, I mean, the offense didn't play well. Literally, I don't. I wish I could have counted it. Maybe I should have. But there had to have been, like, what, four drives at least where Ohio State was only up three from, like, the, from the time Ohio State was up three to the end of the game before they got that field goal. Penn State had, like, three or four drives where we were, we were up three for, like, two of them, and then we were up six for, like, two of them. And obviously, three, six – a field goal ties it, a touchdown takes the lead, changes all the momentum, and the defense didn't let them score. They may not have even crossed the 50. So it's like the defense played well, and I like that they recognized that as well and didn't just look at the stats of like, oh, you gave up 300 yards passing. They had 200-yard receivers. Like, no, they they did what they were supposed to do. It could have been better. Sure, you stopped some of the third, third downs, whatever. But it's just like I yeah, like that. Honestly, so, the only place they struggled was third down defense yeah. getting off the field and if and you take that away they they have a lot less yards they have a lot less of those stats so like you work on getting off the field third and ten third and eight yeah and not letting those drives extend guess what those other stats are a lot better yep so i like that was the quote that i like that he kind of i mean he didn't he didn't and, and he didn't talk bad about a player which ryan day is never going to do but he stuck to his guns of nobody played like a champion so yeah and i think uh my biggest takeaway uh, is honestly kind of funny here. Uh, when he was asked about the officiating from the uh, great Tim May, uh, he said, uh, certainly there were some things we did turn in, yes. And I know that me and Jordan don't like to get in the mud with officiating. You know, as a former youth flag football referee, I've been there. I've been in the mud. So I could kind of say stuff. I, I, I have experience here. It's a hard job. But this is where I'm going to come at you guys. Uh it's not that hard. Not to miss all those holdings, they were obvious. It was such a badly, and you know, uh, it wasn't just Ohio State getting screwed with calls. I'm, I'm going to let you guys know. Oh, Penn State got held a hell. We held a lot too. They held a lot. We held a lot. The one play I will say that was for sure actually a penalty was the illegal touching where the receiver ran out of bounds. Well, they Zero had questions. to call that one. He ran, he ran out of bounds. He, ran, he almost ran to the bench and got some Gatorade before going back into the field. So if you are a straggling Penn State fan who found your way to the wrong podcast feed through like SB Nation, uh, that was the correct call. Uh, every other call, you know, let's we could have some arguments here. There were a lot of missed holdings. That was a terribly officiated football game. And the thing is, this is where – uh, a lot of people are like, hey, like, I don't want the game to be stopped by a bunch of holding penalties. Like, it's okay if they don't call all of them. But when well, they're the egregious. Is, <laughs> uh, yeah. If they're egregious, the thing is, 
if we don't call one early, the offensive player knows he can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And if he gets away with it a second time, it's going to be a slippery slope. Yeah, and and the other thing with that though is those no kind of no calls really affect like some of those third down conversions that they picked up came because they didn't they didn't call holding. Like one of the touchdowns, some guy on Twitter, I can't think of his name, but he literally was just putting up like all the bad missed calls. On one of their touchdowns, there was a man, an offensive lineman who was almost in the end zone. Like seven yards downfield. Literally, if they call that, which they're supposed to at like two yards, if they call that, Penn, I don't remember, I don't remember if that's a five yard or a 10 yard or lost it, whatever it is. If they call that, they lose that down. They go back five yards. Maybe they don't score a touchdown at all. Maybe we call a blitz that next play and we get a sack. We get a fumble, something like that. Like you don't want the game to be slowed down, but you want it to be called fairly and you want them to call the egregious things. Like don't call all of the, you know, pass interferences and, and that kind of stuff. Let them fight a little bit. Only call the egregious ones. But like holding right up the middle where they're literally like pull like they're literally pulling back the blitzing linebacker and offensive lineman seven yards down the field when they're throwing a pass like that kind of stuff you have to call and miss that stuff um and the funniest thing about that so you know that screen passes if you complete them behind the line of scrimmage it kind of vacates like you can get downfield more if you're an offensive lineman you just can't touch anybody uh if he was six yards down the field and the guy caught it behind the line of scrimmage eh, you know i'm not gonna argue that one just because the way the rules are written but the Tight end caught it like three yards in front of the line of scrimmage. So it's just, a, it was just a terrible, it was egregious, like you said. There is a bunch of egregious examples. I think Bill Rabinowitz for the dispatch called out seven or eight of yeah, them during his DVR rewind. Yep. And it was, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I, I know it. It's not an easy job. Ryan Day himself said it's not an easy job. But it's not that hard of a job. It doesn't have to be that hard of a job. You actually, if you watch what you're supposed to watch and aren't, I don't know. I don't even know how they did so bad. Like I, because every single offensive series, everyone would be like, hey, Penn State's holding us. And then we'd go and be like, hey, and you'd see their fans be like, hey, they're all holding us. So everyone was getting held. So that's fair, but it's awful. Yeah. Um the uh, another one before we get into this thing that we just have to talk about really quickly, even though we've been talking about it all week. As I said, I feel bad for Nebraska, and this is going to be like, hey, this is not your fault that we're doing this to you. You didn't deserve it. Ryan Day literally says, Buckeyes have a chance to be really good, and that he hopes the Penn State win catapults Ohio State into a strong performance against Nebraska. They're going to kill Nebraska. That was, Nebraska. That, that was literally him saying, I'm not happy with this win. We have to be better. Nebraska, like, it's just going to be so bad. Like, Nebraska didn't deserve yeah. it. Him saying that and then there being zero offensive champions. <laughs> like, Nebraska's uh, this game's over. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Nebraska fans. This is bad. Bad for you, not for us. This is going to be exciting. It's going to be... It's a new game, too, so we'll get to be nice and relaxed during our, our instant recap. So... All the wins. Uh, Before we get into the next conversation topic, we're going to take a quick break and get a word in from our sponsors here. Uh, Thank you guys for enjoying the show so much with us so far, and we'll see you guys on the flip side. Welcome back, everybody. This is your host, Christopher Rennie, here bringing you another episode of Buck Off. Before we left for the break, we were discussing the presser takeaways. We've got a few more topics to get into. 
before we move on to some recruiting stuff and the Nebraska preview that we have for you guys to get you ready for tomorrow. Uh, But before we go into that, Jordan, we are fighting the good fight. I think it's what we've been referring to it as. And we've been trying to teach Ohio State fans since before the season. And, you know, uh, since we've been doing the show together, we both understand Ryan Day doesn't do this. But we both also wanted him to at least just add it once a game. Once a game would be nice. But the thing is, we are realist and we know that's not how he coaches. So, Ryan Day did say this. They do have zone read plays in the playbook. They do. But that doesn't mean they run them. No, that's that's literally like him saying, like, we have a Hail Mary in the playbook <laughs> or like we have two point conversions in the playbook <laughs> or like, you know, like he's they like, had it's there. <laughs> and we did. He said they ran a few and CJ did a good job reading it, which means he handed it off, which to me yeah. with him being is, injured is the right play. I don't think you have Trayvon Henderson. I don't think it has anything to do with him being injured. It's with him, with Ryan Day being his coach. First of all, I personally don't like the injury thing because, like, when you have a – I mean, I don't want to project because I don't know exactly what's wrong with his shoulder. But, like, the shoulder is one of the hardest places to hurt. And typically you only hurt it when your arm is outstretched. So with all the padding and stuff in his shoulder pad, he could realistically lower his shoulder and not feel anything. Like, when even, like, right before my shirt surgery, when my shoulder was at its worst, you could touch it, punch it, all of that stuff, and it – it wouldn't be painful yeah. because it's it either in the needs, muscle. It's it the needs movement like of the shoulder. Forcible contact from the top or hyperextension to push yeah. it out. Like you, if you get if you get hit, so, you know, with yeah. your arm out. And if he can throw, he can run the ball because throwing yeah, is the hardest part. As long as he's sliding, I don't think there's any issue with it. But like yeah, the greater so. point is, Ryan Day doesn't coach that. No. And to all the fans are like, "Hey, he needs to start scrambling." It's like, no, he's he a quarterback. His job is to get the ball to better people at running, like people who run better, people who are better in space. Yeah. I don't think either of us want him taking unnecessary hits. And, you know, in big games, he might need to run. And he's an athlete. I just think the fan base was fooled because he pulled a ball against Michigan State last year and ran for 70 yards. Yeah. um, I think the one thing is outside of the one, his first or second interception where he could have ran and then threw that like really bad one and got intercepted on the sideline. He hasn't made any bad decisions by not running. And then the one where he ran out of bounds where it's like, why did he take a loss? And then it ended up being a holding penalty. I'm just assuming he knew it was a holding penalty and didn't feel like wasting throwing the ball into yeah. the crowd. I'm and just going like- to, I don't know how he knew it, but that's what I'm assuming because he's made good decisions. Well, like, his eyes one- are downfield. So he must've yeah. just seen the flag. Yeah. And like the one against the one where, where I think it's the one where record fumbled, where it looked like he was going to run, and then he threw it. He threw it because there was a linebacker there, and he wasn't outrunning the linebacker. Yeah. Like they needed like six yards. The linebacker was at six, so obviously as soon as he triggers, the linebacker is going to tackle him at four. We're not going to get the first down. He throws it. We get the first down. I think record that's fumbles. One, yeah, where record fights and like fumbles instead of just going down. Like that and was a good decision. Stroud did it again, where he throws it to Mayan Williams. Guess what? Mayan Williams went and did. He fumbled. And we talked about that play in detail, the one where he threw that little six-yard dump off to him in the middle. Mine Williams got the first down, fought for extra yards, then fumbled. Everyone's like, if he ran for it, he would have got the first down easy. I'm like, those linebackers were playing the sticks. Yeah, He takes off immediately. Those linebackers are closing it. He's sliding. He's two or three yards short. 
Is the Mayan one where it looked like he ran over the line of scrimmage, or is it the record one? Uh, the Mayan one's the one where he got real close to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, okay. So I said the wrong one. They both did the same thing. But yeah, it like it's the same threw, play almost. He he held the linebacker, and that's why the linebacker wasn't on Mayan, and the linebacker didn't run up on him because he didn't know what he was doing. But literally, as soon as he would have crossed the line of scrimmage, the linebacker's firing and tackling him short. And CJ Stroud's big, but he's not that big. I don't he's, think he's, he's lowering really not his that shoulder big, honestly. and run. Like I don't, he's not small, but he's not like he's I don't not think built he, like he's not built like Justin Fields. He's yeah. not built like one and of those even, quarterbacks you could take punishment. Justin doesn't really lower his shoulder that much. Like he will, but he doesn't prefer to. So CJ Stroud's not lowering his shoulder, picking up three yards against a linebacker. He's not juking him, spinning off him, none of that other kind of stuff. So unless it's wide open. Or you don't need the first like, – like, sure, if you absolutely need the first down, I'm sure he's going to run. But Mayan was right there. A record was right there. Or whoever – or you fight – you live to f- the you live to fight another down. And I know it's I know it's not good to be critical of Justin Fields, but that was Justin Fields' biggest issue. He didn't throw the ball away. Like, and sometimes he took unnecessary hits, and he still does that in the NFL. And I think he's learning from it because it hit harder in the NFL. There's some times where it's okay not to run the ball as a quarterback because you don't need to take those hits. It's just like at the end of the day, his job is to be the point guard. It's to get it to the guys who are supposed to roam with the ball. Yeah, It's not his fault. He made the right play by throwing it to Williams. He made the right play by throwing it to Rutgers. It's not his fault they fumbled the football. Yeah, and those are on scrambles on the zone read. Just remember this. Justin Fields is like 6'3", 225, runs a 4'3", 40. Super fast. We saw it this weekend. And Ryan Day didn't run QB runs. Zone reads with him. Zero. Almost. (laughs) Only when. Only in the red zone. He only only in the red zone. Or a very pivotal, very, uh, I just said big moments. <laughs> yeah, a very pivotal third or fourth down that would determine the game. He's never going to do it on a third and one in a blowout. But if yeah. he needs to win the game, maybe. And this is something Ryan Day believes very, this is like cultural, this is like deep inside him that his offensive line and his running back should be able to get one yard every single time they run inside zone, outside zone, split zone. He believes that. And they should. Honestly. So, yeah. Yeah, no, you go ahead. The only problem I have with Ryan Day sometimes, and I laugh at this because I would do the same exact thing. Like, yeah, I've, we I've talked said, about this. I've said this before. Like, I believe my offensive linemen and running backs should be able to tell the defense we're running power on three to this gap and still get those yards. But Travion Henderson is, like, super fast, so I wish, like, every once in a while he would do, like, a pitch or something like that and get, like, you know, thayered in get space. Speech. Just get him something the like, Yeah, just, just, like, literally do the play that Oregon ran on us a million times and get those couple of yards because no one's going to catch him. And with a full head of steam, even if they're there, he's probably going to run them over. Like, I wish Ryan Day would get a little bit creative like that sometimes in short yardage. And I understand, like, sometimes you don't want to do that because it's a lot easier to make a tackle, like, in a short field than it is like you know when you're trying to run up the middle but like I think he could have done that like he does take some criticism but the criticism especially in short yardage is not that he doesn't run the quarterback it's that Ryan Day has too big of an ego and just he doesn't recognize when his like because he feels like they should exactly what you said he doesn't always recognize when they're not and changing yeah he's just like nope they should do it so we're gonna keep doing it we're gonna keep doing it because they should be able to and it's like okay but but next time 
how about you run a pitch? Or like next time you do like the little jet motion or something like, like that just to get it. He started getting under center in those types of situations and that worked. But Love then it. he was running the same play, but like yeah. just under center. Run the pitch from under center. Like yeah, just do something like that. They Full brought in Mitch Rossi. Uh, they did all this stuff. I, I would I want to see a Mitch Rossi third and one conversion. That would make my life. But yeah, and then the last thing on these presser takeaways I want to get into is not really anything specifically Brian Hartline said, but the fact that Brian Hartline's a lifer. If he, he like he's not going anywhere. I've been saying this for years. Like, like before he's not podcast, leaving. And anyone who, like, here's the thing. Brian Hartline, there are just some people who are fine at certain things. Brian Hartline is not someone I imagined who ever thought he was going to go to coach. He, no. He, he went had to $45 football, million. Dollars. He went to the league. He made a bunch of money. He married a beautiful woman, Have has beautiful kids. He's living his life. And now he gets to do the one thing he loves the most. Like, there's nothing better than being a being a wide receiver is probably the best, but coaching wide receivers is probably second best. And it's like there's nothing that makes him. There's nothing that, like that can be more attractive. Now, in five or ten years, if he decides he wants to be an offensive coordinator or something like that, that could change. But in the near future, he's doing what he loves. He's recruiting young guys who play his position, and he's getting to impart his NFL wisdom on them, and then get to see them go to the league. And it's not money because he's rich. He has more money than he probably had. He might have more money than Nick Saban and Nick Saban's been coaching forever because coaches just started making million do- millions of dollars not that long ago. Yeah. And that's probably that's probably too, too far. It's probably not that much money. He's probably he got, got more, more money, money than Ryan Day, though. Yeah. He got more money than everyone on that staff. Yeah. Like, he's got the most. He's got the most. Uh, uh, he's got the he's had the best football career than everybody on that staff as a player. Yeah, which is literally why when he first came to Ohio State, they were playing him like one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars, because like that's that's a lot of money for us, but that's nothing for a coach at Ohio State. And they're like, earn it. We don't know if you're a good coach, so we're gonna give you the lowest salary by far. He's earned his way up in a short time to six hundred thousand, which is stupid money. Um, and the thing is, like, he doesn't need the money. The money's nice, but like. Like he could put, he could take his entire paycheck and put it in the savings or retirement or stocks and bonds or something like that because he has all that NFL money and he didn't spend it. So it's like he's doing what he's having fun doing. And people forget sometimes that like climbing the career ladder is miserable. Like it's great for some people, but he's, he's in a position where like Ryan Day could leave tomorrow and the next coach is not firing him. Like, same thing with Larry Johnson. He's not going to get fired. He's in Columbus. He's at Ohio State. He like he's in no danger of anything. And the higher you go up, the more volatile it is. It's the same reason Luke uh, Fickle isn't leaving Cincinnati for just any job because Cincinnati's never going to find it, fire him. But if he goes to LSU, he could be fired in two years after uprooting his entire family. Like some guys are just like that, especially in the Midwest, which is why we have like Kirk Ferentz and all these other coaches who've been at their school for thirty years, and that's that's what Ryan Day wants to do. He said that ever since he got here. So, uh, yeah, he's staying. I've been trying to tell you all this. Not y'all, because I'd never said it on the podcast. And nobody listened to me three years ago when I was tweeting off my personal Twitter account. But Yeah, no, and I'm with you. Like, Brian Hartline gets to do what he wants to do every single day, which is coach wide receivers. And I think one thing that people don't understand is it takes, like, a very certain type of personality to want to be a head coach. And it's not something everyone wants to do. Like, honestly, it's like, yes, he's getting paid like 
hundreds of thousands of dollars and me and Jordan would quit everything we're doing right now and take that job immediately for like half it. the price. <laughs> uh, but like at a significant discount <laughs> at a significant, we would not recruit the same. We would not be as knowledgeable as Brian Hartline, but we'd work hard and it'd be cheaper, but that's not an Ohio state's worry. But like at the end of the day, like you said, he's got a young family. He doesn't want to be moving around. He already did that in the NFL. Like, I think people forget that, too. He was a journeyman yeah. in the NFL. So it's, and that's so it's, much harder when you have kids. People forget that with coaching. Yeah. And I know I talk about myself a lot, but like that's like one of the main reasons I got out of coaching. Like I was, My dream was to be a college coach, and I was like, I'm never like I'm there's there's almost no point in having a family. And this was at Kent State. Like I saw how Kent State's coaches, uh, how little they saw their family. I saw them more than them. So it's like imagine that at Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, all these other kind of places. It's, it, it's not easy. And when you find a place where you don't have to move your family, your kids can grow up, you can really build roots like some people really care about that. And that's really important to them. And it's not – I want to clarify that's not a good or, or, or a bad way to do it. Like, there's nothing wrong with climbing the career ladder, wanting to be yeah. a head any of that kind of stuff. We're, I think, you know, we're just highlighting why that, some people like Brian Hartline. doesn't Ryan. have to do it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, like other coaches are doing it to get to that point, Ryan Day, so they can make a lot of money. Yeah. And be have the glory. Brian Hartline, he's just doing it. He did it. It's crazy how he got there because he'd go and help out with bowl training and stuff while he was like just getting out of his career. And then yeah. everyone like respected how much he did it and how well he was at it. That they're like, oh, like maybe. And then thank God, Zach. Oh, not thank God. Not thank God. Because that was a really like, messed up situation. Messed up situation. I, I know what you meant. Like, <laughs> because like, yeah, don't want to disrespect that situation at all. Terrible situation for everybody involved. But. We are happy Brian that you're no longer there. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's it that way. <laughs> you couldn't have got a better person in there for replacing a worse person. Yeah, it just it's just significantly better. Um, and the one thing that really stuck with me from that though is not just that he said you know he didn't want to leave and that kind of stuff. It's really like you can tell how much he cares about the players. And he literally like he named the youngest players in the room, and he was like, I couldn't imagine going to tell Marvin or uh, Jaden or these guys that like I'm not going to be here anymore. Like when I recruited them, I told them that I was going to be here for their career to, to watch yeah. them grow, get them in the league. I think I added the get them in the league part but i think that was you know that's implied that's yeah it's implied and for me and for me to come and go into that room and be like yeah i'm leaving i'm not gonna be here anymore like yeah and I think that was his most emotional like not that he cried or anything but like when he said that like i think that's when he got like his most emotional and you can tell the bond that he has and how he feels about his players and he talks and with that he was like saying like echoing kind of what it's about the relationships and that's what makes him such a good recruiter to these kids is like he could legitimately tell them like, Hey, I'm here to stay. Like, this is my job. This is my passion. Like you go play for Tony Elliott, you go play for uh, Alabama's wide receiver. These guys are on the up and up. Like you guys get me. I'm an NFL receiver. I, you saw what I've done with Olave Wilson. You've seen what I've done with other guys like Terry McLaurin. You see that guy? He was complete and he was probably never mean to terry but he'd be like yeah that guy was an average receiver now he's the best receiver in the league because of what we did 
Yeah. And literally my favorite thing that Ohio State does on their Twitter account, and for some reason they only do it with wide receivers, is they they wait until someone has a really big play, and then they show Brian Hartline practicing that, like making them practice that in in practice. And it's it's literally the same exact thing. Like the spins, the whatever, one-handed catches, the taps on the sideline. Everything they do in games is practice. And he does it with he shows it with the receivers in the NFL shows it like and that's one of my favorite things and you can only do that if you've been there and that's the other thing Ryan Day going back to the zone read really quickly people forget that Day is an NFL guy who just happened to come back to college and yes sure he coached in college before and whatever 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 but he really made his name in the NFL and they don't run quarterbacks in the NFL also Ryan Day played quarterback and I don't think he liked running and taking those hits so all of that does his philosophy and like you said Brian Hartline we've said all of it but um yeah I I don't know what else there is to say he's gonna be here for a while um I have a question. I don't know if you know this about Brian Hartline. It's really about recruiting. Uh, I think it's 2023. Maybe it's 2024. Either way, I saw, you know, they do all the edits. The, the supposed number one wide receiver in one of these classes did an edit of all of his offers, and he doesn't have an Ohio State offer. And I looked at that, and I said, he's not the number one wide receiver. If Brian Hartline didn't offer you, you're not the best wide receiver in the class. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And the thing is, the last like thing he said, and he talked about his recruiting philosophy, Hartline says, well, he doesn't believe in gadget players, and there's one more thing he said. Uh, he feels like when he's recruiting people, uh, there's nothing more important to him than them just being good guys. Yep. Which is great, the- young men. That's the term. You know, yeah, that's it. I think. Uh, yeah. Regardless, like it's the type of person you are. If you're not the right fit, it'll be hard to maximize a player. You got to be a good dude. That's what he said. Yep, and I think like he's saying that that also means you have to be able to take tough coaching. You have to be able to leave the five star at the door. You have to be able to sit because you have good wide receivers in front of you. Like I think that's kind of what he's implying with all you, of that. And with the way recruiting starts, uh, you could learn a lot about it with the way recruits handle offers, the way the recruits handle, the way they market themselves on social media. Yep, I and, think all of that. I think all of that matters. Um, and uh, you know, this is a, a thing about Ohio State and people's like Ari Wasserman says this all the time. He's like, there's only a few company, there's only a few schools in the country who can turn down a five star prospect, and Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia do that. And as much as we talk about uh, Nick Saban has no heart and that kind of stuff, when's the last time Nick Saban recruited a five star? who like went to jail or got kicked off the team or like that kind of stuff. Like Ohio state, like they can do that. Cause like, they don't have to take just any five star. If you don't, if you don't fit the program, if you're not willing to compete, if you don't have the right attitude, if you don't have the right grades or history, or if you have, you know, unfortunately a criminal history that, and that, and I'm not saying anyone, cause some people have criminal histories and still get to go to these schools. But if you don't have a criminal history, that's like, I don't want to say forgivable, but like could be expunged and like explained just from like stupid childs. Like if you are not a certain level of recruit, they're not going to let you in because they're going to waste that spot on you. And so, you know, that's prime, I think, prime that's example. Exactly. What's his name? Zach Evans. He's at TCU now. Yeah. Super talented player. Had offers to Alabama. Had offers to all these places. 
then these stories started coming out with him, like being disrespectful to his coaches, being disrespectful in front of the championship game. Uh, and guess what? He didn't end up at Bama. He didn't end up at Texas. He didn't end up at Ohio State. He didn't end up at those places. A lot of them just straight up took the offer. Yeah. And that's the type of cutthroatness you need because if you come in uh, and you aren't a culture fit, that's worse than whatever you can provide on the field. Yeah. And everyone talks about receivers being divas and stuff, and they are. That's kind of a, a part of the culture, right? That's fine. But just to use an example, because I know you're a Browns fan and the Browns are absolutely ruining his life. OBJ at 18 probably couldn't go to this Ohio State room because he had, and this is again not a negative. I like OBJ's personality. Uh, maybe he shouldn't have done like the boat thing, but whatever. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, he was young. But like, yeah, he probably couldn't have come to this room because he was so talented. He wouldn't have wanted to sit like you have to be willing to learn and sit and grow and stuff. Like, and that's everywhere. But especially in this wide receiver room, because yeah. Ohio State has so many wide receivers, they could go two classes without a five star wide receiver and be fine. They would never. But like they have so many people in the wing. Julian Fleming was the number one player in the class and he hasn't touched the field because of injuries. Yeah. But he also and- hasn't transferred. And because not he's not right type of player. Yeah. And once he gets on the field, I I think he's going to be a beast. He's going to be dominant. I just yeah. hope that he can get healthy. 100% agree. And that's that's like when you look at the staff, that is what the staff does well in recruiting. It's just finding the right fit for Ohio State. Yeah. Again, that's, and you that's, can't, that's, that's very important. And that, that kind of takes us into uh, – we're going to turn this into like a quick hitting – one because we got a lot of stuff to talk about with um, one kind of take each year. Uh, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about with Nebraska still. But recruitment after Penn State, the Scarlet outworked. That's not the take here. Uh, that was uh, beautiful. Dude, yeah, it was unbelievable. I, I give so much credit. We already did, but here we are. Uh, do you think this weekend was enough to swing some of these big recruits? Because there was one big news. I'm going to say it. Zion Branch canceled his visit with Bama. We remember the last time a recruit did that turned out very well. I think uh, every, I think everyone who really wants to recruit wants to commit to Ohio State should schedule Bama after after us and then cancel it. I think that should yeah. just be a trend, and that should just be the sign that like yeah, it's Ohio State. <laughs> but we've got guys like Xavier and Wonkpo. We've got guys like Amaria Bohr. We've got guys. Uh, there was a lot of twenty twenty fours, twenty twenty fives. We're not going to get into that. Not enough time, but. Is it enough to sway a Xavier and Wonk, but a game like that, an environment like that, seeing that, being with the coaches, you know, there's some, you know, questions about Kerry Combs being there, yay or nay. Um, he's a big recruiter on those guys. But I, I think I think this is enough. I think I have – I've seen enough. I think there's enough momentum to get a guy like Xavier out of Iowa. So I'm going to speak on everyone but Xavier. I think all of the big names that were there, uh, Omari, Zion, Hero, uh, uh, all of those players. I don't know if Caden Curry was there. I hope he was because we need him too. Uh, Supposedly he's high on the list. Um, I think all of those guys, it's enough to sway. I'm just not sure about Xavier because like – 
He's from, from Iowa. He's from Iowa, and their biggest calling card is their defense. And, like, that's going to be, like, very significant. And I've never been there. I'm going to go at some point uh, because I want to go to every Big Ten stadium. But from everything I've heard from everyone that's been there, uh, Kinnick Stadium is amazing. Like, no, they don't do – they do, they do like, a stripe out or some other stuff. Like, they have some stuff. Sure, it's not a scarlet out, but, like, I heard that environment is nuts. So – I think for players who were on the fence or really close or whatever, I think it's enough to sway and solidify. I think, you know, I mean, King CJ Hicks has a basically told us we're going to get some booms. So apparently there's a few on the way. I, I would just say this. If we get Xavier, I think Xavier was already leaning Buckeyes. I'm just yeah. not ready to talk on him because Iowa, Iowa is for I a think- defender. It is a good place to go, especially as safety. For some reason, they're, like, never good in the league. But, like, there's no other team in the Big Ten that can challenge Ohio State with putting players in the draft except Iowa and DBs. Like, yeah, that's, I, I that's think, the toughest one. I think the biggest point you brought up there, and we're not recruiting extras by any means. We don't, we don't claim to be, uh, except sometimes when we get it right, uh, <laughs> is the if they were on the fence but leaning towards – Ohio State, this is the type of visit that sends you home. If you were on the fence leaning away from Ohio State, this might make you reconsider some things and need to do a little bit more evaluating, but it doesn't guarantee they're coming or going. But if you're just kind of one of those kids who has that dream school already, which Iowa could be for Xavier, and he just wanted to see, like, hey, if it's, like, actually super special and all these things, like, yeah, like, I could go here. But if – it would take an insurmountable visit if he's already like Iowa bound yeah, to change I, his mind. Yeah. And I just think especially cause like in certain cases, the environment is enough, but since we're ex- specifically talking about Iowa and everyone who's been there says that Kinnick's environment is crazy. I just don't think that something like this is enough. Not that we're not going to get him. I actually do think we're still going to get him just for, with a bunch of other factors. Uh, I just yeah. don't think like, I'm just not enough to say that this is it because Kinnick is crazy too. He's from Iowa. Again, their draft history with DBs. Um, it's funny because like when I saw that Iowa was in his like top five, I'm like, who the hell wants to go to Iowa? And then and I saw, saw where he's from. And I was like, oh, be that tough. makes sense. So he's, he's got, I'm pretty sure he's got a Notre Dame offer too. So Marcus Freeman's not going to give up on that one either so it's gonna be it's gonna be that one's the biggest i think battle remaining because there is not a lot of safeties true safeties built like xavier and wonka that you can replace in recruiting yeah uh the one that's the difference that's my difference with him is like there's not another there's not an alternative well didn't we say that about a guy last year i mean he's a freshman so not that i expected him to start but wasn't there maybe again maybe he's not to xavier's caliber but there was a guy we got last year who everyone was like this guy's a safety this is the guy that we need to play free safety it was (sighs) one of the johnsons jacalins or something i think he's jalen johnson Maybe I don't know. I, I'm not saying that, not saying that Xavier's not better, but because uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll see when they get here. And one guy has a year at Ohio State. I just remember them talking about another safety. Um, the one thing that I thought was interesting from just you know people who follow a lot more re- recruiting and stuff is um, 
that they said that Zion Branch is a heavy lean because when he got to Columbus this weekend, they were able to kind of explain exactly how he'll be used. And I, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm I'm guessing it's going to be in that kind of Ronnie Hickman type role. The bullet uh, type stuff, yeah. Yeah, and players like that. They they like to know exactly they to how be they're going to be used um, and, and to see themselves in the defense. And that's yeah. the hard thing with athletes sometimes. It's like when Clemson said they were going to say Travion Henderson was a corner, and then he didn't go there. Or the um, or the better one, uh, JT. We talked about it all summer. Ohio yeah. State's the only one that ran a four three. Everybody else was trying to run a three four and make him and uh, be a tackle. Yeah, so like that kind of stuff matters, and so I thought that was interesting, just because someone said it specifically that Zion Branch got to figure out his what his role would be and see himself in the defense, and that that has him leaning Buckeyes. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, it's it's a huge weekend. Anytime you do a special atmosphere, anytime you do that stuff, it's big time for recruits. Recruits love that; they eat it up. Um, yeah. And everyone's like, oh, we should get like 10 commitments this week. That's also not how it works. It, they still have things to consider. They have a lot to take in. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, but I'm trusting our, our future king, CJ Hicks. Uh, yep. There's a lot on the way. We need we need Omari. Uh, and, we've talked CJ about we it trust. a lot. Yeah, we've talked about it a lot. Uh, if you uh, get Omari and Kenyatta Jackson, that's an elite pass rusher class. Yeah, well, not I mean, not only that, but we've talked. Oh, I've talked about it. I think we both kind of agreed that Larry Johnson's amazing, but in the last couple of years, outside of JT, he hasn't been getting those guys that weren't from Ohio. Like we've had a good run of of defensive linemen in Ohio, and he was getting them, but he wasn't getting that five. He missed on the five star that went to USC. He missed on the five star that went to Clemson. He missed on the five star that went to a lot of different places. And so like getting Omari uh, is big, especially because it seems like we're going to miss on that five star that's in Philly that uh, I can't remember his name that Bill Landis yeah. wrote an article about. So he's good. He's good. Yeah. Getting Omari and uh, Kenyatta who are not from Ohio and then pulling hero from California via Germany. Like that's a, that's a, that's not that's the a class. Yeah, not that I ever didn't believe in Larry Johnson, but that's kind of the ones that's like, yeah, he still got it. Like, you don't need yeah. to be an Ohio-adjacent kid for Larry that's to get like, you. He still has that pool. That's like the type of stuff where you're like, yeah, Larry Johnson's probably got two to three more years. So, like, yeah, let's let this dude coach till he's 81. <laughs> Honestly, like. And then, uh, and then and then bring back his uh, – no one remembers him, but bring back his GA who left to get some coaching experience so he could take over yeah. his job. 100%. You remember what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. That's, that's yeah. bad on me there. But uh, I know what you're talking about. He's at, I think he was at Lehigh last stop. Somewhere. Now what he's else? climbing the ladder, like we talked yep. about earlier. Some coaches like to do that. Some coaches have to do that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, not everyone's perfect, like Brian Hartline. <laughs> Our prince. Uh, Nebraska preview. It's time to talk about the Cornhuskers, and I I hate Nebraska. <laughs> I do. I think uh, I think it's a terrible state, and it's boring. And I stayed there during my road trip, and I really liked Lincoln, but outside of Lincoln, man, it is it is a tough place to be. Uh, a lot of corn, so their nickname makes a ton of sense. Uh, but the biggest thing about this game is. Like we said, I think Ohio State's going to bully them. I think this is going to be a game where 
Uh, it's over early. I don't think it's ever in doubt. I don't think Nebraska is going to keep this to a single-digit margin, and I think this is going to be the type of game where we get a common opponent with Oklahoma, and they're like, okay, so yeah, that's why Ohio State's way in front of us because they beat this team by six touchdowns, and we beat them by five points. Uh, so when we look at Nebraska, I think Nebraska is – they're three and five, but I think they're better than they have been which is saying something because they're terrible. And this is kind of a stat I had earlier in the show plan, but I've got the Nebraska head coaches pulled up. And since uh, the great Tom Osborne left and Bob Devaney and Frank Solich, so those three guys were all 80 win percentage. Frank Solich was a 75% win percentage. And guess what? Frank Solich's win percentage was too bad for Nebraska at the time. After that, they had Bill Callahan, 27 and 22. Bo Pelini, 67 and 27, a 71% win percentage, took him into the Big Ten. Uh, Barney Cotton filled in 0 1, doesn't count, interim coach. Mike Riley, 500, the worst coach Nebraska's ever had, according to their fans. The worst. Uh, significantly better than Scott Frost. Do you have a guess on what Scott Frost's record is right now? Uh. It's like 42 or something like that. No, no, it's not that close. It's like 38. Yeah, 15 and 20, 15 and 26 with a 366 win percentage. I was close. I said 38. Yeah, okay. you're right on it. He's been terrible. Uh, and everyone's finding all these different reasons to be like, excuse him. But at the end of the day, good coaches win where they go. It's easy to recruit at UCF. It's Orlando. There's no academic requirements to get into UCF. There are so many players in your immediate area in just Orlando, Florida. That's why so many people have won at UCF. The issue for Scott Frost isn't anything to do with recruiting. It's his personality to me. Was Charlie Strong at UCF or FAE? Uh, USF. Oh, never mind. I was going to say their last two coaches went and got big jobs and weren't good, but that was a different school. Um, yeah. yeah, that's right. He was USF. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, the football gods are still punishing Nebraska for firing Frank Solich. And maybe now that he's retired and should have a statue at Ohio, maybe in the in the next few years, their curse will be lifted. Um, you know, uh, that, that – uh, you fired a guy who was really good for no reason because you thought you should be better than you were when you shouldn't have. Uh, maybe so many maybe college coaches they make that mistake so fortune, many times. <laughs> yeah, maybe their fortune will switch. But I don't hate Nebraska. I don't have as strong of feelings as you do. Uh, the one thing that I will say about them, uh, and that's why I joked about the Frank Solitz curse, is it's not the '90s no more. It's just not. Get over the past. That's not like you are not a that's national why hate championship. Him, man caliber team i get that you're a blue bud blood but it's like going on 30 years it's, it's, it doesn't matter no more get to a bowl game um yeah they also, need to they need to recalibrate their expectations because yeah. guess what bo Pelini was a really good football coach at nebraska and they fired him 71 percent win percentage Last yeah. time they were relevant, Bo Pelini. They've been terrible ever since. They fired two, and Bo Pelini's not a good coach anymore, granted. But they fired two good coaches thinking they could be better. Yeah, don't they joke about Bo Pelini Day because he always went 9-3? and three? Yeah. That's, that's what that joke is, right? Yeah. They would love to go 9-3 and three now. 
They yeah. would do anything to go nine and three. And like, how are you mad at nine and three? Like, like I, I understand this is Ohio State podcast, so everyone just rolled their eyes and was like, "Well, we would be mad at, at nine and we'd three. be pissed at nine and three. But we're Ohio State, so we don't count. Like, we're the top, top, top one percent. Like, <laughs> so anyone else, how are you mad at nine and three? So uh, Nebraska needs to fire this coach. And, and like everyone, they just—it's one of those things where, like, anywhere else, Scott Frost goes fifteen and twenty-six and says the stuff he says and does the stuff he does, uh, he'd be gone. And well, that's the other thing. I'm glad that you mentioned that. The other reason I dislike them is they do what Michigan does, and they believe in that Michigan man, Nebraska man. Yeah, like, to be yeah. a Nebraska guy. And it's like, listen, just because someone was went there or played there or whatever does not mean that they're good. Look at Luke Fickle in Ohio State. Like, just like it, it just doesn't always work. You don't need someone in your foot. Like, you need someone that understands. So, like, sure, it's not always easy yeah. to take a SEC guy and put him in the Big Ten. That's why uh, Brett Bielema didn't do good in the SEC because he should have like, never left the Big Ten. Ryan Day, perfect example. Not an Ohio State guy. No connections to Ohio State besides being the OC there when Urban Meyer was there but he gets it yeah he bought in he gets it now he's an ohio guy and it's just one of those things where oh my god uh i'm scott frost i throw in fat hog or dips and i yell at my players and blame them i'm a nebraska fan just like you guys like come on i'm a nebraska man uh sorry scott frost like I hope I hope this is the time. I hope this is the game where we really kind of see an unbolted Scott Frost. I don't think he will because I think he knows he's going to lose this game. So I think he's already working on damage control for after. But you know, I lost a lot of respect for him. I've lost a lot of respect for him this past this past week with what he said after the game, where he's like, you know, it's not our job to always motivate these guys. Sometimes it's got to come from his house. I'm like, it is your job. These guys are 18 to 22 year old kids. Like you're their head coach. Like, Half of Oh my God, you headbutt a wall. Like that's not how you motivate a 22 year old. Half of what coaches do is motivate. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, why, Urban, that's, that's all give, Urban Meyer did was motivate. That's why they give speeches before games and have corny slogans and, and hype videos. It's, it's motivation. Like everyone who's played, any sport knows you have to be motivated, but especially someone who's played a sport with like collisions and stuff like that. You know how crazy you have to be to wake up at nine in the morning to two by noon be running like into a brick wall of a human being. Like getting into minor to, car crashes. Literally, you need to be motivated for that. Like you don't just wake up and be like, "All right, let me just run into people for sixty minutes and potentially break every bone in my body." Like. And- you know why Nebraska keeps losing these close, these close games? It's because they don't believe in Scott Frost. Mm-mm. It's because they don't want to play for Scott Frost anymore. Nope. And that's that's why this game. And they be also a don't believe in Adrian Martinez. And that's yeah, they don't. That's probably honestly the biggest key. And we could kind of transition into Adrian Martinez because he's the next part of the conversation. But he is exactly what Nebraska football has been since he's been the quarterback, and that is. Average at best. And they show really terrible good flashes. At worst. They show and really it, good flashes that get you yeah. and then literally throw the ball away. Throw the game Every away. once in a while they have a big game, a big win, and you're like, okay, maybe they'll turn this around. And then they just absolutely destroy it the very next week. Like 
Nebraska fans, when they hired Scott Frost after what he did at UCF, you know, were ready for Big Ten championship appearances. They haven't even sniffed it. They haven't even been in contention for a Big Ten championship in November since Scott Frost has been there. They haven't been in contention. They've barely been in contention for a bowl game. They've never been to a bowl game. They've never (laughs) been six and six. That is horrible. And I I just need you guys to know this. Nebraska, their expectations are a little skewed, but it is not a bad job. They put money into their program. They have great facilities. They are a good school. Like, this is not a job that's unwinnable. It might not be able to get to that national championship level that it was before, but they could be Michigan. They could be Penn State. They could be Wisconsin. They could be these teams that are consistently competing. They could get in the rotation of well. First of all, they could be better than Iowa because not, Iowa's never even been to the Big Ten championship yeah, game, which is they fun. should be better than Northwestern. Yeah, like you know, like you like you could kick Northwestern out of the rotation of winning the Big Ten every couple of years. Uh, and sure, maybe you're just fighting for the right to lose to Ohio State, but uh, <laughs> you still win the like. I I don't know if people understand, and maybe this is just like stupid about college football. They give you a ring for everything, like they Ohio do. State for winning the Big Ten. Ohio State gets two rings because they get a win, a ring for winning the Big Ten East, and then for winning the Big Ten Championship game. So you still get a ring. You still get some hard hardware for winning the Big Ten West. You just didn't win the over and maybe that'll go away when there's no more divisions, which hopefully comes soon. But like that's still big. Put a ring on your desk. Say you won the Big Ten West. Like that kind of stuff matters. It's a nice and accomplishment. And they haven't been close to it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, getting into it, um, this is so Ohio State's only lost one game to Nebraska in their entire existence. So uh, there's this thing where blue bloods like have a blue blood that they just own, and Nebraska is our blue blood that we own. Like two wins in the 50s with Woody Hayes as the coach, and then six straight. The only game they've lost was a 34 to 27 game in the year that doesn't count for Ohio State, uh, the Luke Fickle year. Uh, so uh, six straight. It's been blowout 63-38, blowout 62-3, blowout 56-14. Close game, 36-31, Urban Meyer over Scott Frost in 2018. Could have changed everything, honestly. Uh, Ryan Day, 48-7 over Scott Frost. And Ryan Day, 52-17 over Scott Frost. And I want to add one more thing. They're both Chip Kelly tree coaches, so it's personal for Ryan Day to absolutely show Scott Frost that he owns them. Yeah, I, I, and it's funny because I'm pretty sure Scott Frost was a, a QB guy, or that's what he was like billed as. And honestly, the biggest failure, and I hate saying stuff like this because I, I hate talking bad about players. Um, yeah. But his biggest failure is not having a quarterback good enough that Adrian Martinez didn't have to be the starter, or that's true. good enough that Adrian Martinez didn't have to play better. We talked about it, and people, you know, we guess that part of the reason C.J. Stroud started playing better is he sat. And not only just the, the the healing that he said he has, but he sat, watched a player play good enough to take his job and said, nope, not nope. letting that happen. Not a and chance. he's been good ever since. So that's Nebraska's biggest it, thing. It's the same issue with Penn State. They weren't able to develop someone better than Sean Clifford, and Sean Clifford's mm. just good enough to win enough games. And the difference they, is Adrian Martinez is not good enough to win a bunch of games, yeah. and you still couldn't find someone better than him. Well, I think Will Levis may have been better than Sean Clifford, but they did the Urban Meyer uh, seniority, seniority type thing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, to get into the actual game, because I know we've you know talked yeah, around been, it. Yeah. 
Agent Martinez is the reason I just like we've talked around it, but we've made good points towards the game. It's hard to say that they're going to be relevant in the game when that's their quarterback. Yeah, and he could do some stuff with his legs. Don't get us wrong. Like there's been flashes that he's a good quarterback, but flashes aren't beating Ohio State. Like the difference between him and Sean Clifford is Sean Clifford's at least a consistent quarterback in what he does. Adrian Martinez, you don't know what player you're getting on each play, and that's Nebraska football. Like I'm looking at their stats, and they don't really have anybody that's putting on anything spectacular stat wise. Um, you know, looking at their rushing stats, guess who the leading rusher is? Adrian Martinez. Looking at the receiving stats, they have one guy, 568 yards, Samori Torre. He's pretty good. I actually like him, but shouldn't be anything crazy. Uh, outside of that, there's no names that you're going to hear getting recognition at the end of the year. Uh, their rushing attack is not great. Ramir Johnson's a decent running back at best, but... They just don't have anybody who strikes fear in your eyes. Defensively, you look at their roster. They have some good linebackers, but like compared to some of the linebackers Ohio State's played, these like, guys aren't better than Indiana's linebackers. Or and Penn State's linebackers were really good. Yeah, like their DBs. Uh, what's Shaq always say? Barbecue chicken. Honestly, like they haven't defended anybody this year. Uh, and the weird part is, is like. They played well against Oklahoma. They play well against these teams. They play up to levels. They play down to levels, but they can't win. The only team they've beaten significantly that like kind of means something is Northwestern, and they suck. And it's crazy because at the, after the Northwestern game, I was like, okay, Scott Frost, as long as he gets to a bowl game, he's done enough to keep his job because the team looked motivated and they looked like, you know, it was just a couple of like little fluke things. But now it's not a fluke when you keep losing. When you lose to Minnesota and you lose to Purdue and some of these other games, it's just kind of like, nope, get him out of there because like you said, Nebraska should be better. Uh, yeah, Nebraska no should be Losing to Purdue regularly. They shouldn't be losing to Northwestern regularly if they are a blue blood. They're Tennessee. Yeah. They should be freaking like – here's here's the one thing about blue bloods, and I'm going to put it into the Big Ten East. There there are no up-and-coming teams in the Big Ten East because the blue bloods in the East don't let it happen. Penn State doesn't let Rutgers – become Penn State. Michigan, for all of their flaws, they don't let Maryland take their place in the Big Ten. Michigan may not win the Big Ten, but they don't let Maryland become the third best team. Nebraska let let Minnesota become the second best team. Minnesota should never be better than Nebraska. Zero zero universes, Minnesota should be a better team. But they are because they're letting – they are not holding their place in the pecking order as this – First, second, they should be anywhere between first, second, and third. Maybe not first, just because Wisconsin has so much like built into it now. But like second, third, whatever it is, they should be that in the West all the time. And they're letting Minnesota come up and take their spot and bully them. Um, and that's the issue with the program. Um, yeah, and I, I know we could like. I mean, once again, like. It all comes back to Scott Frost, like failing in a lot of places you have to be at as a head coach. Number one, motivating your players to be great week in and week out every single day in practice. Number two, creating a culture that breeds competition. And, you know, the reason you know the culture isn't good there is because they've had a ton of really good players leave. 
Wondell Robinson's a star at Kentucky. How could they not find a role for him at Nebraska? Did you um I, I don't know if you would have because again I'm addicted to sports and so I just read random stuff. Did you read happen to see the story of why Wondell Robinson left? No, I can't remember it. He left he left because they were basically still, trying to They were making him a running back, right? Yep. They were essentially trying to take him to a running back. And he was like the first year he did it because he, he was wanted to get on the field. Yeah, he wanted to get on the field and players were injured. And then the second year, they were like, oh, yeah, you're a wide receiver, you're a wide receiver, you're a wide receiver. And then they kept handing him the ball. And then they go into the offseason and they're talking about doing the same thing. And he's like, no, nah, I'm out of here. He's like, yeah. I don't want to take those hits. Like, I want to go to the league. He's you're not built to- like a running back. He's no. built like – he's like Rondell Moore. He's built – he's like 205. He's a little stocky, but he's not a running back. He could take mm. handoffs, but that's not what you want him doing every play. Exactly. And so it's just like like stuff like that. Like, how do you misuse your players so bad that they leave? And honestly, Scott Frost's biggest problem is recruiting. And someone this is not an original thought. Someone else said this, but they're like people forgot, which uh, kind of goes to what you were saying earlier. People forgot that it's hard to recruit to Nebraska. It's not impossible, but like Scott Frost is trying to recruit the same kids he got at UCF to come to Nebraska. Kids in Florida don't want to come to Nebraska. Nebraska. You may get a couple, but you're not building your entire team off of that. You can start recruiting Florida when you're winning nine games a year. Right. You might get one or two, but you're not going to have five, six, seven, eight, ten. Also, like, if you're not one of the biggest programs nationally, why are you even in Florida? Florida has 20 teams by itself. Why would they go to Nebraska? Nebraska? You've got to recruit Lincoln. You've got to recruit St. Louis. You've got to recruit Kansas City. You've got to recruit these Midwest centers right next to you. You can go down to Oklahoma City, get those types of kids. You can even go to Texas. It's at least closer. Yeah. But and Florida? They, and it's just not a pipeline that's built. Like, it's just, it doesn't exist anymore. It existed with Tom Osborne because guess what? They were winning national championships. Yeah. Like, you tell them you can't go to Seattle. Yeah, Seattle's cold. Nebraska could go to Seattle and get some players. Maybe not Egbuka and and some of the players we've gotten, but there's some three and four stars out there, I imagine. Like, um, so it's just like you can't go to Arizona and get a quarterback. Every school in Arizona has a four star quarterback. It seems like every high school in Arizona has a a, a good quarterback. Feels like that's where most quarterbacks are coming from. Yeah, like there's no world where Iowa State should be a better football program than Nebraska. Like if you take every single thing considered. There's not a single place where they should be outperforming him. And you know why they do? Because Matt Campbell's built a culture of sustained success. Ames is way harder to get to than Lincoln. And they are con- consistently winning nine games. So this is an indictment on Scott Frost. And I can't wait till Ohio State beats him down. So let's get into the keys to the game for the Buckeyes, if we need them. Uh, or things you want to see. Yeah, I want to see – this is always hard. I'm trying to see – it's not the same because it's a different team, but I I need to see a dominant offensive line performance. I need to see holes that, like, me and you could run through without stretching. Like, that's what I need because they just didn't do it against Penn State. I need to see it just to know that they can do it. I know it doesn't matter. Like, you can't replay the Penn State game. I just need to see it. I need to see the offensive line come out with some fire. Um, I want to see some more. I feel like we say this every week, but for some reason, Day has just kind of been bogged down with the runs. Well, I want to see some more say runs. It, 
every time we say it, they do it, and then they yeah. go away from it for like two weeks, and then we have to yeah. say it again. So I let's say it. Like, let's say it. I, so I think creativity. Bill, yeah, I think Bill Landis said that like they ran like three gap running schemes the entire game. Like, like I need some powers, some counters, like something like the, that. Travion Anderson's biggest run play of the game was a gap scheme. No, that was actually zone. I thought it was, was gap really? two. Yeah, I thought it was gap two, and then I rewatched huh? it. It was actually zone. They just yeah. blocked it right for once. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it looked it like it, I thought it was gap two. Um, yeah, it must have been a split zone then. Because uh, oh, I, I remember his, the kick out. I think his second biggest run was a gap scheme, though. That 22-yarder, gotcha. I think that was. Yeah, Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'd want to see a couple more of those, and I, I get it. Uh, like we said, Ryan Day is very – He's a head coach. He's egotistical. His guys are better than yours. Uh, what I want to see uh, is red zone efficiency with the offense. I really just want to see them go to the red zone five times and score five touchdowns. I don't even care if we only score 35 points. Like, okay, that's a problem. But, like, I could live with that if they're five for five in the red zone. And then – I'll get us started with the defensive one because I want to see this every single week. I want to see a dominant pass rush. That's what I want to see. Uh, I think we're I think we're close. I think Ohio State's really close to having that dominant pass rush. You need to win national championships. The interior D line's been carrying it. We're starting to see Tyreek Smith. We're starting to see Zach Harrison look and play healthy. We're starting to see JTT and Jack Sawyer make their impact. Oh, we saw Javante John Baptiste get involved last game. It's it's looking good. It's looking good. We got five guys who can rush the passer. I want to see them absolutely eat Adrian Martinez's lunch. Man, what would Tyreek Smith have been if he wasn't injured? Because every time he it feels like he's only healthy for like two or three game stretches. Yeah. But every time he's healthy, it looks like the most amazing two or three game stretch. Like yeah, he, and flash you can tell. Early, he was playing through injury. Last year, he was playing through injury. Like, yeah. Get this man some help. That's maybe why he couldn't get home, man. We figured yeah. it out. The one thing I will say, because this is going to concern me and it's going to make me mad, um, I hope that they don't do the contain rush again because Adrian Martinez can run. And that's what they're going to do. And so we're not going to have a bunch of sacks, and that's going to make me mad. Um I I don't know about the dominant defensive line thing. I think to have a dominant defensive line, you have to have a dominant player. But I think we can have a very good defensive line, and I think we're getting pretty close to that. Uh, and I, like we already said it, but so I'm going to steal your key from earlier in the show. I want to see three takeaways. Yep, takeaways, takeaway city. It doesn't matter if they're picks. It doesn't matter if they're strip sacks. It doesn't matter if they're fumbles. Three takeaways. I'd love to see five because I think it's very possible, but I love that. I love that key. I love that. That that's, that's a good challenge for the defense. I think this team is so good at giving the ball away. Nebraska. They're so good at handing it off to the defense that if Ohio state doesn't come out with three turnovers, it's a failure. Yeah. Uh, I definitely agree with that. Uh, but yeah, I guess uh, closing thoughts, I guess we'll get into our score predictions here. Um, what do you think the Ohio State Buckeyes do to Nebraska tomorrow? Oh, did you stop talking? Oh, yeah. Key, what's your score prediction? Uh, my score prediction, score prediction, score prediction. 
Hmm. I want to like, I want to put them back in the fifties, but Nebraska has been playing slightly better. I'm going to go 48 to 48. What's an ugly score? 48 to nine. Can we, can we keep Nebraska from getting a touchdown? 48 to nine. I'm going to go 48 to nine. Yeah, I, I was kind of thinking that same thing because I was kind of in that like forty-two to six thing because I think Nebraska is going to ugly this game up early. So I think the like max scoring is going to be tough unless like they can make it up with some defensive touchdowns. But I do. I think it's like fifty-six to like twelve, thirteen. Honestly, yeah. we'll probably get back. Uh, I think we'll get in the. I think I've done this a couple of times where it's like I put it right under fifty and I say we'll get in the fifties if we get a defensive. Score, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I think, yeah. I think 49's a safe bet. 49's like, I don't think they score two touchdowns on us, honestly. Uh-oh. I don't. It's gonna be like at most they score 13 points. That's what I, I don't want to sound cocky, but like, I just don't think Nebraska has any semblance of doing anything against Ohio State, so cockiness, whatever. Uh, we've seen this, we've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. A lot of times. How many times? I think six in a row. Yeah. And uh, again, like the defense is getting better. So it's just like, it's, I'm fine. You know, like I'm not going to, you know, when we get like, if we face, like when we play Michigan State, I'm not going to predict that we keep them under 20 points because Michigan yeah. State has a solid offense. And I don't think the defense is that good. But a team like Nebraska, thir- nine, 13 points, I'm very confident that we can keep them under that. I agree. I agree 100%. Like, uh, I don't think their offense is like significantly better than Indiana's. I don't think they're. Offense is significantly better than. I definitely. I don't even think their offense is Penn State's level. So like, I just don't see a way they put up that many points. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, I, I think I just need to continue to see some growth from the defense. Yeah, um, I'm loving the creativeness from the defense. I'm loving the the blitz packages and stuff like that. And for me, the most encouraging thing, I think I maybe said this once, but I just want to double down on it. The most encouraging thing for me is the players that we thought weren't good. Uh, we And we acknowledge that they were young. But the players that we thought weren't good are starting to make plays. Like Lathan Ransom had that sack and stuff like that. I want to keep seeing some some growth from yeah. some some players and, and just some stuff. And this is not a key. This is not a takeaway. This is not a big thing. But as we start to wrap up, it's it's time for a Denzel Burke interception. I'm ready for another it one. It's I'm been ready. too long. He's been kind of quiet, which we've said before is good for a corner because typically the only time. Only time you're saying a quarter's name is when they get beat deep or pass interference, but it's time for a play. Yep, yeah, and uh, I think what I think the best thing the defense has done is starting to use players in roles that they'll succeed in, and then expanding them. And that's kind of what I just want to keep seeing. Like honestly, Lathan Ransom keep blitzing, keep kind of playing that man-to-man coverage. He's pretty good at. And then expanding a little bit, taking on more responsibility. Uh, and that's with every player. So we use Lathan as an example, but there's other players on the defense doing that as well. Uh, close out the show. Jordan, where can we find you in the feed throughout the week? Uh, social media. Uh, yeah, you can find me. Uh 
at Jordan W330 on Twitter. Uh, follow me, interact with me. I, I always respond. Uh, and then you can find me on this show, the instant recap and on the I 70 football show, which drops on Monday, where we talk about the entire big 10. Uh, and you can find me on Sundays with big thoughts, another article about the big 10 and my thoughts for the weekend. Yep, sounds good. Make sure you guys give Jordan a follow. And then you guys can find me on Twitter at Chris CFB. And then you can follow the show page at Buck Off Pond. Then you can find me with two articles a week reviewing what Ohio State did to their opponent, good or bad, and then previewing their opponent on the week. Those are Mondays and Thursdays. And then, yeah, you can find me on Buck Off and with Jordan on the Instant Recap Pod. Uh, Good luck to the basketball Buckeyes next week. They're taking on a nice little Mac school in Akron. I think they're going to kill them as well. So uh, by then, uh, Ohio State should have beaten Nebraska. So let's get a 2-0 weekend from our Ohio State men's sports teams. Yes, sir. Go Bucks. Go Bucks.